Hey everybody, Larry Powell here, your host for Studio HFL, where you truly do hear from legends. And welcome to this next interview with the one and only Gene Watts, founding and former member of the Canadian Brass. This interview, like most others, is available now both on the audio platform and the video platform. Audio is available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere else you can find audio podcasts. And of course, now the video is available on the Studio HFL YouTube channel. And we're just at about 130 subscribers at this point. And I'd love to get to 150 for the next goal. So if you can go and subscribe or encourage friends to subscribe to that, I would appreciate it. And while you're out there, if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a star rating and a review, that would be fantastic. If you'd like more information about guests, upcoming interviews, releases, merchandise, and that sort of thing, you can go to studiohfl.com and subscribe for the newsletter. There are several reasons that this podcast is able to continue. One of them is through the generous support of my Patreon patrons. You can become a member of the Studio HFL community and support this podcast financially for as little as $3 a month. That's only $36 a year. There are four total tiers from which you can choose. That fourth one, of course, making you a co-sponsor. And speaking of co-sponsors, here they are. Pickett Blackburn has indeed established themselves as a top-tier resource for trumpet players. There's an incredible line of mouthpieces, both custom and stock, that you can choose from with expert guidance from Eric Murin and Peter Pickett himself. And the Blackburn trumpets are the choices of pros like Vince DiMartino and Dave Hickman. Design, execution, delivery, and customer service driven, you can find out more at pickupblackburn.com. Brass players can be kind of picky when it comes to cases, perhaps even more so than other musicians. If you've an idea for a custom case, then Messina Covers has your solution for completely custom case designs, even down to a wide variety of color schemes. Don't forget about options for mouthpiece pouches or pretty much anything you'd want to keep protected in a custom case. In fact, they designed and produced two fantastic Herald trumpet cases for me. You need to check them out, of course, at messinacovers.net. One of the great things about small business is that you get the opportunity to provide exceptional customer service while delivering exceptional products. At Hammond Design, Carl Hammond provides a line of stock mouthpieces for trumpet, cornet, mellophone, trombone, and tuba, and custom orders for all of those plus flugelhorn. All made possible because Carl listens to you and then creates a piece exactly to your specs. Everything is better in HD. You can find out more at carlhammonddesign.com. The Eastman Music Company has become a force to be reckoned with by manufacturing and delivering the highest quality instruments across the board. Eastman Winds provides a line of brass instruments from beginner to pro, and you know they are truly invested in the quality of every instrument when the one and only Doc Severinsen helped design their beginner trumpet model. You can find out more at eastmanwinds.com. S.E. Shires, another division of the Eastman Music Company, offers a complete line of brass instruments for the discerning musician. Stock instruments are available, but custom orders are where Shires has truly made their mark. Myself, as both an Eastman and a Shires artist, I can attest to the quality of horn in my hands no matter where I am and what my performance situation is. You can find out more at seshires.com. And now, on to my interview with the founding and former member of the Canadian Brass, the one and only Eugene Watts. How are you, sir? Well, I'm okay. I'm sorry. There's so much going on today that uh, I got uh, distracted. I'm uh, 
Well, no worries. No worries. I'm very glad you're here, and thank you very much for the time. I'm really looking forward to this. You know, I've enjoyed uh, Canadian brass. Uh, I mean, obviously, that's that's how I know you. That's how a lot of people know you. And just what you've done for the music world, uh, you know, it's it's so fantastic. And uh, I think so many people are grateful for the contribution that you guys made. And uh, so I'll I'll get that out of the way. Now let's talk about. I'll get the adulation out of the way. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> It, it, it's nice, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, we're the ones who are grateful in, in a way. So, so you know, the, I, 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 feel, I guess it goes both ways, uh, you know, being brass players and you're a brass player. Right? Yes, trumpet player. Yes. Uh, we, we, were, we were excited that people would come and see us, you know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're, you're a brass player. I mean, uh, we love to be on stage, and, and you're a trumpet player, right? I mean, that's even... Even more. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. we, we love the, that attention, and, and what it is is, is attention, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and the, in, in the intensity of energy that you get from an audience, especially if they like you, it's amazing. And mm -hmm. I, I think uh, we were so grateful because I played a little in orchestra some, and, and we've all, you know, were pretty professional when we started. I mean, Fred was, uh, you know, he'd done a lot in New York, and mm -hmm. Ron had done quite a bit in New York, and, uh, and Chuck was a teacher, but he, you know, the tuba, mm -hmm. it takes, they, they don't really probably, now they do, but in those days, they didn't really have the image of being soloists, right. except for Roger Bobo, of course, and, <laughs> and, and Jake, but Jake just sat in, in an orchestra. He had a big uh, effect on us, Jacobson. We knew him very well. Yeah. I was in Chicago uh, uh, between my junior and senior high school year, and I, I studied and I lived with Oh my goodness. They had a big house, and, uh, and uh, so they rented out rooms in the, in the third floor. <laughs> yeah, so I got to know Ren really well, and, uh, and then doors. Mm -hmm. So that, uh, that the, Ren Schulke was one of the first people that we played for, in a way. We did a workshop, and he, uh, he was in Toronto, and we were doing a workshop, half hour or so concert. Could you hear that? I'm I'm sorry. I, yeah. Okay. There I think there's some workers working on our house. I wasn't expect they're supposed to just be painting. Okay, I'm sorry about that to interrupt. Uh, you were talking about uh, uh Ren Shelke giving you the opportunity or you were playing for him first. That's right. And of course I, he knew who I was and I, I you know, he we were close, uh pretty close. And then anyway, uh he came to our concert and afterwards he says, you know, this is what I wanted in Chicago. And you guys, he liked the way we related. He, he, he liked the way that we didn't put on airs. You know, we were, we were just lucky to be there. And even during the workshop, I guess he picked that up and he saw that. Yeah. And so uh, he really encouraged us. He went back and uh, uh, he made instruments and mouthpieces for us. Uh, and, you know, Ren, I mean, uh, uh, I took a friend of mine in who was a little bit like this, and mm -hmm. uh, he wanted Ren to fix his mouthpiece. And so uh, 
you know, uh, Ren put it on the lady. He went like that, and he gave it back. And he says, yeah, yeah, that's a lot better. And and sort of almost joking, it's like, oh, well, how much do I owe you? And Ren said, $30. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he didn't like the attitude that was coming. Yeah, right, right. So the fact that he made his instruments, and 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 he was like, well, how much? And he says, no, no, they're, 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 they're free, wow. right? Yeah, and that was very surprising. From even though I knew Ren, that that's not in his nature. Yeah, well, but you know, from a business standpoint, that was that was great because he was going to have prominent musicians out there playing his instruments. And and well, and basically, he had just come back from Japan where he he tooled up the Yamaha factory, right? Mm -hmm. So he had a relationship there, so he made that connection to Yamaha, mm. Japan, so that we got really good support from Yamaha, especially yeah. in the early years. And the other thing that was important with our group is that we performed so much, somehow from the very beginning, uh, since we were trying to make a living doing it, we found out we could do, if we push ourselves, do four children's shows in schools. So we had a pretty good system that we could uh, do three or four concerts a day, five days a week, and mm -hmm. then but it's so draining. And, so, yeah. and not well, just from a brass player standpoint, right? I mean, there's the the emotional yeah. and physical part too. Yes, uh, but then it, we developed what we how we talk to an audience, and kids are the most honest. You know, you mm -hmm. can if you lose the kids' attention, so so <laughs> right. everything was sort of geared toward that, and 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 uh, like the three or four weeks before Christmas, we'd go out and we'd be do children's shows all over the, the state or the province. Mm -hmm. and, and we really, it, would, it was tough. You know, you play in a gymnasium where you say, oh, 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 it's a, I'm like, but so we had every experience. So we, we finally just, well, we deal with it, no matter what it was. Right. And our goal was not to teach children anything, to give them a positive experience. Because teachers would say, you know, they, they would come in and they no, you be quiet or we'll take your place. And we got the place of, don't tell them anything. Let let us let us mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. So we'd let them scream, whatever they're doing, and then we'd just start talking to them like they're mm -hmm. real people. And luckily I have kids about about that age. I know they're real people. <laughs> if you don't have kids, you think they're kids. Right. right. They're real people and yeah. give them that attention. It comes back to you. So mm -hmm. we could feel an audience how tough it's going to be, you know, or, or this is a fully crowd or whatever, and we would be responding to that. Uh, that training, and we did that for probably three, three years or so before really good things started happening. And the the, the music we played, I mean, we 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 were able to Bach Little Fugue in G minor was our if we could get them to stand up and cheer for that, we figured that's our goal, right? Mm -hmm. they, they would be moved musically by something that wasn't rock and roll or, or what they normally had. Right. Okay. So anyway, we got that down really, really well, even when we were tired, even when we were exhausted. When we get in front of an audience, if something happened. And I think the fact that we had always have time to meditate you know, even for the whole career, especially when I was in, uh, always would be meditating before the concert. Mm. 
you know, and yet the first, if we get on a plane, we're, we're all there just sitting with our eyes closed. And, and that, I think it helped us when we're touring all the time. Yeah, and, and when you're doing that, you're not drinking uh, and having a great time every night, you know. Right. Later, some of the younger people did, but it's hard for them to show. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> this isn't a one-time deal anymore. Mm. It's your life. <laughs> well, that had to contribute to the longevity of yeah. the original group. Yeah. Because you're right. You know, time on the road, it it wears you down. And I know, uh, talking to some other members of, of Canadian Brass and Empire Brass, yeah. you know, talking about that same thing. And, of course, now I'm thinking maybe Empire should have employed the meditation <laughs> they may have I, I, I think so i think they 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 uh, may have gotten off the track a little bit yeah i mean they, they, it's not a secret you know not well that's why i say that yeah <laughs> right. then everybody knows about the tensions that that were there and and uh, and they're all fantastic players so mm -hmm. you know i think i i think well now the group is uh I, i've never heard such such talent <laughs> as a trombonist i think that achilles that i i created a job for Achilles is probably one of the greatest. <laughs> it's just wonderful. But I think what the Canadian Brass did, we were such a group, we rehearsed so much, we rehearsed every day. So, uh, I mean, I hear really great players, but they're not, they're not in sync emotionally. Do you know what I mean? We were. And that's, I think that's the secret of what we had. That uh, it came from the meditation. I can say this now because of a few years ago. Sure. Well, I want to back up a little bit. Um, of course, I've talked to Ronnie, and I knew that you know he had had the romantics, you know, uh, his family. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what about you? I mean, up. But let's talk about before Canadian Brass. What What yeah. did it look like? What kind of things, musical experiences, were you having? My mother, my father was a preacher. You're a preacher's <laughs> <My> kid. <laughs> yeah, I am too. You too? Okay. Yes. Well, I don't have to say much more about that. But, uh, uh, and my mother was a piano teacher and the organist, you know, and so mm -hmm. that sort of, they, they worked together that way for a while. Uh, so I, I heard piano teaching and she would have 15, 20 students a day. And I yeah. could never play the piano because of that, I think, but I, I was encouraged to play something. Mm -hmm. So there was that, that experience, and I, I grew up in Sedalia, Missouri, which uh, is probably pretty pretty close to you guys in a way, except it was part of the Underground Railroad. It was, uh, uh, I think it was called, uh, I don't even know what you can say these words anymore, it's called Colored Town, and okay. it's always on the other side of the tracks. It's in Sedalia, which is about 80 miles from Kansas City. Uh, because of the Underground Railroad, there were places for jazz musicians to play, and they, they could stay, and there was a, communities that would take miles. All these really famous guys, when they were younger, they did that circuit, all, all, all of the colored towns, as they called them. Right. So they were able to do that, where they couldn't tour a lot of places, because et cetera, et cetera. Right. So there was a tradition, uh, and um, lived there, for a while, and all of his music was published in, in Sedalia. Wow. And there was a, a black uh, college music school was there. Mm -hmm. So that, that, that was uh, very part of, of my education because I was able to go to sessions 
that they would have. You know, they were they were, they were very very nice. But uh, I learned a lot, and that was that was a, a wonderful education. And uh, how old were you at that time? I was, uh, I think, it probably in the junior in the high school. So I, I did it for about a year and a half. And then when I went to University of Missouri, I kind of had my own band there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the guys would come up and I'm with you fraternity shows. So I had kind of my own band. And then that got to be too, too, too much work. And so I formed a band called Missouri Mudcats. Were these uh, Dixieland, Ragtime, what? Uh, basically, yeah. basically. I mean, uh, it, it was, uh, and we'd play in bars, you know, Saturday morning before football games and mm -hmm. and with fraternity homes. And my, my last year in college, I made more money than I did in the next 10 years because we were working every weekend, you know. Yeah. Kind of amazing. Yeah. I, so, and then I was going to music school. I was even drum major for it. Anyway. But I wonder how many people knew that. Probably only less than ten. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, and then I got married, and my last year in college, I got married, and I decided that I wanted to be jazz player. I mean, that was you know, that's what I knew, and that's what I felt I was ready for. Uh, JJ was my hero, mm -hmm. and and all that. But uh, I got I got married, and I thought, well, maybe I should go ahead and study more. So I went to New England Conservatory. I got a scholarship there to be there. And studied actually the orchestral repertoire. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the meantime, I had lived in Chicago with my brother, which I kind of mentioned in the beginning. Uh, I didn't mention my brother, but. Uh, and I studied with Jake for about six months. Wow. So I got to know Jake really well. And so uh, we would live. We keep going back, you know, and as a group, we'd go back and we'd all play for Jake. And, and Jake would uh, give us each each one, you know, we'd play and we'd just take turns. And uh, that was very good for the group. We, we were going to do a recording with with, uh, with our, all our heroes in the Chicago Symphony. Arc. Mm -hmm. So we had one or two rehearsals, I can't remember, with, with Jake and Hersus and, and all mm -hmm. the, we got together with 10 people and it was just, I mean, it was like going to the moon. It was so yeah. amazing because they, <laughs> they were people that we worshiped all of our life. Mm -hmm. It was pretty good, but uh, when RCA was going to record it, but uh, I think they got so high in their demands uh, that they we had to go to New York. Right. So, who did you meet first from the group? Were you friends with Chuck or Fred or? Uh, Fred, I knew earlier, but uh, yeah, I, I formed a group of, of, of uh, just local players. And then Fred, actually, we lived together. And he, he was in national ballet and, and contracting. And mm -hmm. then, then when Ottawa opened up, uh, they started the Ottawa Symphony. Fred was hired to play principal trumpet there. Yeah. So he was there for, I think, three years. We had just gotten, so many things have happened, it's kind of hard to put them exactly the same the way they happened. But uh, I sort of got a contract with Hamilton for uh, a brass group, a symphony orchestra, and they wanted people to do children's shows. And 
we uh, we needed a trumpet player, so we we contacted Fred, and 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 Fred said, well, you know, uh, I I don't think I can do it because you know he's got a retirement. And it's really it's sort of a government job in Ottawa, mm -hmm. so he had all all of the benefits. And I, I think he says, but he says. Uh, he knew Ronnie in New York for a little while. You get Ronnie to come, then I'll come. <laughs> and, and so we called Ronnie, and I think Ronnie needed the gig, you know, in New York. And, and so it, it was uh, playing in the orchestra. Uh, and uh, I think we did it for about a year with someone else, and then Freddie came in. That, that's basically since 1970. And the rest is history. The rest is kind of is, history. Yeah. We uh, we made our money playing children's shows, and and be, uh, people would hear that they're terrific, and and the people started talking about it. There was an article in the Toronto Symphony Bulletin about a love affair with the audience, mm -hmm. that, and that because we were doing young audience uh, concerts for the Toronto Symphony, mm -hmm. and then people said, well. Uh, uh, they started booking us for local concerts. And so we thought we had to be classical and all of that. And then they would say, uh, you're gonna do the one where you stand on the chairs, aren't you? <laughs> we played a minstrel piece that you can't play anymore, but, and we'd be riding around and ended up standing on the chairs. So, uh, sort of a little routine, routine that we did for the kids. So we found out that the audiences were about on the same level music. In a sense, I don't wanna, put it on but you had to speak to them different sure but you can still say this is a pickle trumpet because they've never seen it it's, it's amazing and they really don't have a, a knowledge that we have about brass instruments about music so we sort of translated our children's show into an evening's entertainment Bach to Cotton Feud became in the beginning one of the, the big pieces so you know a little handles water music or something and and we we sort of followed the i did two people boston pops liberace and for the showmanship i had just been on tour with liberace for about three weeks and seeing his routine seeing how he dealt with with the with the audience and he had a word for word never changed but the the implications would change mm -hmm. and when it would react he would you know milk it a little bit and when it wasn't working he would just but it was word for word it never changed mm -hmm. uh, in three weeks but it was genius in a way because mm -hmm. he's you know when you get tired you you had something that that could hold it right he played classical music more than you know he, he did the candles and everything that 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 was one thing that impressed me uh, and also the the Boston Pops, the way they do the classical, and then they lighten it up. So uh, that actually, uh, I don't think we really lost that because you can't, I, I think brass two hours along or an hour and a half along is, is going to be hard to do, especially the way we were trying to play right. like Chicago Symphony. <laughs> right. Remember the old thing, you have to project, boy. Yeah, you have to project, but it's energy. It's mm. not just noise. Project, yeah. Right. And then music and music right. from the heart and, and all, all of that is uh, 
Did that come naturally for, it seems like it was very natural for you and Chuck uh, and Ronnie, but what about Fred and, well, who was your, was, David wasn't your first horn player, was he? No, uh, it was Graham Page. Was oh, Page, right, right. I've been with us for 13 years, so mm -hmm. it's hard to remember, it's 40 years, you know. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I think, you know, Ronnie came from the jazz, similar background as me, uh, but Ronnie, he was an incredible musical player, and it's all intuitive. It's all from the heart. It's kind of all emotion. But when he, you know, he had his gorilla, and 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 you had to follow him, you know. Mm -hmm. And if you try and lead, he's he could that much. He could, he could beat you no matter what you do. Yes. It's, it's, oh, he's going to come in early, and he would be there. Yeah. <laughs> just just some uh, an amazing amazing player. Yeah, and he—he's uh, all emotion and all heart. I know. Yeah. Interview, you found that out. We've become friends, and I just—I—I yeah. I think the world of him. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. Oh well, he's always had our highest respect. So, the, I the everything has kind of changed, but the closest person to Ronnie was Ryan. Ryan uh, had that same heart, that same mm -hmm. that could, uh, you know. Speaking of Ryan, did you see the uh, World Band premiere yesterday? I don't think I did. No. I'm... Oh, I'll send I'll send you a link to that. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. it was a song of hope, and I think thirteen hundred people contributed oh, to that. It was it was unbelievable, unbelievable. It certainly gave a lot of people a forum to work with, huh? <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. Still is. Yeah, it still well, is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. So it's, it's a legacy that. that yeah. Well, and you know, not to not to move too far ahead, but it's just the, to me outwardly, that's what the everybody in Canadian brass seem to be. You know, I've talked to Joe Bergstaller and Jeff Nelson, and mm -hmm. it's just like you're amazing players, but you're so you're great human beings too. And I think not too, but first, you're you're great human beings first, and that's why that communication was so so easy for you guys. Yeah, I a bit, the, that was not our motive ever really we didn't say uh, well I, I, have you interviewed Jens yet not yet <laughs> he used to say that that we're manipulating the audience and i say oh, wait a minute no we're not they're manipulating us <laughs> and there's a huge difference mm. it's it's not your ego that's that's that the audience is after yeah it's what you give the audience that makes them open up yeah. So what's going on? Yeah. And then when they open up, then you receive everything. Yeah. So uh, actually, I was when I was in India with Maharishi, uh, we started a, uh, a, a school, a training school. And <laughs> Maharishi explained to me what a, a successful performance was. He says, you walk out on stage and the audience reacts to your frequency or he said your silence right and that takes that consciousness to a certain level and this is when that happens the audience affects you and you go into a, even a deeper level and then that affects the audience in turn and it creates like a a positive positive energy exchange and when someone walks out and is so egotistical that an audience has to, they can't open up like, oh yeah, they have to go, oh yeah, he's, he's really something. 
that's not open, right? Mm-hmm. So when the, when the ego is too much involved, I mean, you have a music, I mean, it gets too complicated, but uh, the openness to not let yourself get in the way is very important. It's important. Mm-hmm. And, and I've, I've learned a lot in the last 10 years since I've left Canada, and it's 15 years. Uh, I, as soon as I, I retired, I sort of put everything down and I spent a lot of time meditating and, and just working on myself, uh, trying to, in, in, you know, to improve. How can you be happy and joyous for no reason? I mean, because that's, that's what I've really discovered is, is the answer. Mm-hmm. So, that, but what I found about music was that it's not the notes that's important to me. It's what's in between the notes. And in between the notes is a gap. In between the thoughts is a gap, right? If you don't have that gap, then you start, ah, uh, uh, and you're not allowing that, that gap to be there. Mm-hmm. So, you can't get scouted. You, you have to go, you hear the gap, and you hear and when that gap is the same, that that settles everything. You know, we'll hit a note and then we'll think about the next one instead of going to the gap. So you're losing the energy for the next note. I don't know whether this connects or not, but a little bit of this is new, but I'm I'm taking it in. Once you experience it and, and you can look for it and start looking for it more and more, the more it comes and you say, Oh yeah, that gap is what puts it all together. <laughs> and that's, I think that's, the heart does that naturally. And so, anyway. This is just a quick sponsor break to remind you to check out Messina Covers for great custom case options, Eastman Winds and SE Shires for exceptional quality from the professional model to the beginner model, Hammond Design for their incredible HD experience, and of course, Pickett Blackburn, providing you with a multitude of options for mouthpieces and trumpets. Now, back to today's guest. Um, a little bit of a left turn. I'm curious, uh, uh, thinking about Graham and Fred, right. um, I remember seeing you live and hearing Ronnie and you and Chuck address the audience, but did either of the other two ever step forward and, and talk? Not, not really. Fred was sort of a, a private person, you know. Uh, I think later, uh, when he when he started teaching, I mean, he could do all these things. But uh, how much should I say? I think uh, Fred came from a, a different place than we did. First place, he he didn't want to play Carnegie because he lived in New York and he knew how strong and important it was, and and he thought, how can how can we play Carnegie at all? In a way, and then we started playing Lincoln Center, and and they. Uh, Okay, he was not that comfortable with the human. So, him not being that comfortable gave him a certain image that seemed to work. Yes, it did. It did. And it kind of balanced off everything else that was going on. But that, that's just, you know, nature. So, that, it wasn't in his uh, interest to speak. You know, what, oh, I have to tell a joke, you know, so, <laughs> or, or, or something. And so, so uh, Fred suffered a, our humor for, uh, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, that yeah. an idea of what it, the, the feeling I get. Uh, uh, we found that when everybody talked, everybody's talking now and again, but I don't think it's, they haven't 
quite work that out. Uh, I think if Chuck was the only one to talk, it, it, it would be too much. I mean, think of how good a comedian you're going to be to keep people's interest. Right. And, and, and I, I seem to, when I spoke, seemed to be confusing enough that they were really happy when Chuck, I mean, that's, that's insider stuff. I, sure, sure. And so I, because I worried about these things, I was sort of responsible for who spoke when and what. Mm-hmm. And I did most of the program. Everybody had to agree. And then mm-hmm. sometimes we'd have to do it uh, and to prove that it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But we had kind of had time to do that. And by the time we, we started working like 300 concerts a year, or, I'll remember we were playing in New York, uh, mostly Mozart concert, Peter Schickel. Yeah. <laughs> he was with us before we went on. And I was saying, guys, look, we can't play this piece first. We have to do another another piece. And I was, I'm changing the program right as we're going out and Peter Shickley almost turned white. I said, this, this is Lincoln Center. No one's ever done it. No, I know we have to do it, right? So we, we did it, and it worked. And, and, and Peter says, I can't believe you guys. <laughs> that, that was not unusual, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you feel an audience, and, and, and there's that relationship. I, I think I was really open about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm not saying I didn't make mistakes uh, and I didn't get too tired, you know, mm-hmm. all that. I'm not trying to say I was any kind of genius, but mm-hmm. usually my intuitions uh, for programming and how to present things. Or, mm-hmm. For a long time, uh, we would, Chuck and I would do the same routine, or I'd come up with something and Chuck could do it so much better, mm-hmm. you know, taking the idea and the concept. And there aren't many brass jokes when you get down to it. That's true. <laughs> I mean, when you try and think of humor, uh, you know, one or two things and, you know, play a low note. Or... Well, and, you know, and people don't recognize that a lot of times it's just a chance to get the horn off your face, right? It wasn't so much an introduction to the next tune as a chance to, to, to get the blood back into the, the chops. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And... And say things that you really think. I mean, from the point of view of a tuba, it's pretty funny to most people. Mm-hmm. And that's not humor. I mean, it's not a stand-up routine, you know. Right. And I think people are trying to be stand-up, and and uh, I I think when they imitate us, a lot of times they try and tell jokes, and 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 I don't think that's what we did. It was always kind of from our heart. And if it comes out in a strange way, because it probably will, because you've you've had your face on a trombone all your life, mm-hmm. and you have a different attitude toward what you're talking about, and right. and that's where the humor thing comes yeah. in. Well, I mean, I I do remember. Like I said, I've seen you live. Uh, I remember the humor, but I remember the playing, of course, above everything else. Yeah. And I, you know, what I also appreciated was everybody was afforded the time to shine yeah. you know ronnie and pieces like amazing grace and fred mills on whatever piccolo yeah. and and uh chuck on uh the fugue yeah. you know so what was what was the tune that that featured you what was it that you uh, mostly the jazz the jazz pieces do you have a favorite one of those that you had done well the st louis blues i think is on the internet now. Uh, uh, but I, th- I think all of them, uh, Beale Street Blues, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I, when I played the when I played the euphonium, I thought it was, it, it was good class. Good. I should have played the euphonium on all classicals because I couldn't. I couldn't on trombone. Uh, true confessions, right? But but I I was never able to articulate the way uh, I mm. wanted to on classical. Uh, and and the recordings I did on euphonium, uh, I I think too. And so what I've been doing for the last three years now is I only play even I only play Bach cellos too. And uh, and now I'm trying to conjure myself being Bach playing euphonium. How would you do it, sir? <laughs> yeah, right, right. You know those cello suites. Um, there's a transcription for trumpet players. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what a great way to learn phrasing. I mean, they're just, they're spectacular pieces. But I have to listen to somebody like Yo-Yo Ma play yeah. to understand that you, there are so many places to breathe, so many places to affect the music. You know, that that's, yes. And I, I'm playing them so much now. I, I, uh, <laughs> and you learn, every time you play through it, you hear something now. And I'm starting to memorize it. And I figure once I have it memorized, then I probably will know the pieces. But I, I mean, you know, like every day I'll, I'll spend an hour and a half, two hours playing it. And like, mm-hmm. like yesterday, I played the complete Bach cello suite number one six times. Oh, my. I don't take all the repeats toward the end, but. <laughs> right. Now, are you doing this to memorize it? Was this or just? To memorize it, more familiar with it. My mm-hmm. fingers, I mean, I didn't have this when I was younger. Mm-hmm. So, but but now this uh, is coming. Yeah. I'm starting, yeah. instead of doing that, you know, get yeah. get tense trying to reach that. Yeah. I, when you're 70, you know, that. Well, and the thing too. I, I, I physically, I, I've had to, to uh, work out all of the stresses that mm-hmm. you get tired and you you stress a little bit. And then the next time you start, and you're not tired, but you still had those that stress there. Yeah. And over a period, I mean, by the time I left, I needed a lot of help. And the breathing, yeah, uh, can get weird too. At least it did for me. So I was, you know, the last couple of years, I was dealing with all these these problems, but they were they were nice. They put up with it. What what? How did you come to the decision that it was time to move on? I was 72. <laughs> Really? When, when you left? Yeah. Wow. Well, um, Fred had already gone. Yeah. Well, but that would have, he was the first one to leave. Yeah. yeah. Right? Well, um, yeah. well, yes, but I mean, it's, but you had a, a long run of horn right. players who were there. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah, Fred was the first one. Yeah. Um, I really wish I had had a chance to meet him. He just. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, what was I going to ask? Oh, oh, you were talking about uh, euphonium, and I think you know, uh, it's one thing, right? Playing St. Louis blues and Beale Street blues on trombone because that yeah. it's idiomatic to the instrument, and, and then but Luther Henderson, yeah, yeah, but Luther Henderson, I, I mean, beautiful arrangements, yeah. but he must have written it, um, yes. But I'm thinking, did all his things fit the trombone well? Did he know how to really write well for trombone? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the answer to me is obviously yes, because you guys sounded great. But He could write for everybody. I mean, it's pretty hard stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? 
<laughs> well, and I knew Freddie had written uh, several of those arrangements as well. Uh, not the jazz ones, but... Uh, right, uh, well... Uh, if you, that Freddie did transcriptions. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Luther did arrangements. I mean, he would spend time and go over it, and and he realizes oh, there's three lines in music. And and uh, so he, he would, like, like he'd write a solo for Chuck, nothing else happened. So mm -hmm. so that was one one line, and then then he could add this and and then. But in jazz, there's he figured there's only three brass sax, and, you know, high and low brass and sax. Right, right, right. So that that uh, he, he could go anywhere from one to five and mm -hmm. give a lot of variety in in the arrangement. Yeah, we'd ask him for features. I mean, Saints Hallelujah. Yeah, anyway. So in. Uh in these, what did you say, 10, 12, 15 years since then? My, my life, I said this today. Yes. Yeah. How, how are you, what are you doing? Well, you said you're, you're playing the Bach cello suites, you're meditating. Um, yeah. What else fills, fills your life there? Well, the, the, the change in consciousness that's happening to the world right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are really horrible things, but you, 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 you see the destruction, but we're, we're not focusing on what's, what's rising, right? A tree falls in the forest and, and up comes beautiful things. So we're going through that transition right now. Uh, I, I think eventually the purpose of life is to enjoy and experience happiness. And uh, what we have to realize, and this change is forcing us to do it, is that we're responsible. Trump's not responsible for my misery. And by using for that, then I'm just, you know, and, and everything is like that, that I, I, uh, I have the power to be completely happy and face, it could be a terrible situation, but if I'm feeling happy about it, I can deal with it. If I'm feeling angry and resentful, then I'm going to be stupid. And you're not. You're just going to destroy things. This is the change that's happening in our world. Mm -hmm. More and more obvious when things are stupid and things are just destroying. And maybe we weren't aware enough to know that that genet genetically modified foods weren't good for us, or that chemtrails hurt us. I guess if I say anything else, we'll be cut off. But no, I'm, I'm in. I'm in agreement with you right now. I'm. I, I don't mean from you. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? Um, but you're, anyway, you're fine. Anyway, that yeah, the uh, that but that's our responsibility. And when I pass over to the next dimension, my brother just passed three days ago. Oh, I'm so sorry, Gene. Well, and it's but it's a celebration, and then he was ready, and and so I we were pretty close. So so. Uh, uh, it's a it's a really good thing that, mm -hmm. that we have some place to go because <laughs> when mm -hmm. the, when the body does deteriorate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of all the new medical techniques, uh, the latest research on frequencies and etc. Whole lecture series and, and a lot of machines and things for the virus. That, Got it. So, so that, are, that's what I'm doing as well. Gotcha. I'm doing as much research and, and yeah. Uh, as possible and experimenting with things and uh, 
So here, here, here's something I'll pass on. Uh, two things I'd like to pass on before we leave. Please, yes. In, in this quest of mine for my last 15 years or so, there's two things that I think <clears throat> are really practical and free. The first guy is Wim, Wim Hof, V-I-M-H-O-F, breathing method. Do you know that? No, I don't. Okay. So uh, you can go um, uh, Wim Hof breathing and get an app, it's free. And it's a guided breathing exercise. And as brass players, it's, it's incredible. But what it is, it, it's not really hyperventilation, but it's oxygenating the system. Mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll quickly, so you go, and you do that 30 times and you can get a little dizzy, you're lightheaded. Mm -hmm. And after, after 30 times, you hold it, you go, now your body's oxygenated feel the urge and you just experience that and you can go on for a minute and after you do it many times maybe you can go on for two minutes mm -hmm. so and then you take the air in and then you squeeze a little bit for about 15 seconds and you let it out that's a round and so you have you usually do three or four rounds so it's like 30 deep breaths then a release of the breath and holding it until you need the breath and then you take it there and squeeze for a minute. Okay, mm -hmm. that's the basic technique. And it gets a little more involved in that, but what that does is it changes your body from uh, acidity to alkaline. Most inflammation and most problems we have comes from uh, acidity, creates all this. Mm -hmm. So just from breathing and filling the lungs and it, it even helps free the whole and and it's taught me how to breathe again and and so that helps a lot on euphonium especially when you're trying to play you know, four, four or five bar phrases well uh, thank you for for this but also for everything you've done for uh not just brass quintets but for audiences all over thank you so much for that and uh i'll tell you every minute was a pleasure for us so. <laughs> It was obvious. We did get tired, but, you know, sure. it's worth it. And that's where today's interview ends with Gene Watts. I hope you enjoyed that. There is a little bit more to be heard. A small portion of this interview has been excerpted and is available only for my Patreon patrons. For exclusive content access, you can go to patreon.com slash studio HFL and find out more about how you can access that and other benefits. Another reminder to visit Apple Podcast and to leave both a star rating and a review. And please visit the Studio HFL YouTube channel and subscribe. This has been a production of Powell Music and has been supported by the generosity of Messina Covers, Eastman Winds, S.E. Shires, Hama Design, and Pickett Blackburn. Once again, I'm your host, Larry Powell, and grateful that you spent some time here with me and Gene Watts today. Be sure to come back next week to visit with another terrific guest. Have a great day and see you next time.